Hello, everyone. Uh, welcome to Permanente Docs Chat. Thank you for joining. I apologize for my tardiness this morning. I was uh, stuck in clinic because um, patient care always comes first, regardless of the other other activities we do here. So thank you for joining us from wherever you may be watching or listening today. Uh, I'm your host, Alex McDonald. Uh, as many of you know, I practice family and sports medicine here in Fontana, California, as part of the Southern California Permanente Medical Group. Um, so today, uh, I am actually very excited for our conversation today. Uh, we are talking about uh, AI um, and how that impacts physicians' work and our wellness and uh, all the implications therein. So this should be a wonderful conversation. Our, our guest is Dr. Sethi, who is a urologist from the Permanente Medical Group and director of wellness operations. And really, I love this. His, his goal is to advance the joy and meaning in medicine, uh, which is really fantastic. So Dr. Sethi, thank you so much for joining us today. Alex, it's great to be here. Excited to have this conversation. Um, thank you. Yeah, absolutely. And uh, those of you who may be interested, we also have the Permanente podcast uh, that's had a very sort of similar uh, theme as well, too. Although this, I think this will be a little bit of a different conversation. So uh, if you like what you hear today, definitely make sure you check out the uh, the Permanente podcast uh, with uh, Chris Grant um, and some other uh, really amazing um, Permanente physicians leading this work as well. So uh, if you're here live and listening live, please feel free to drop questions in the Q&A and we'll try to get to as many as we can. Uh, but again, we try to keep this high yield and quickly, uh, uh, high paced, and we jump right in. So um, Dr. Sethi, start by telling us kind of kind of who you are and, and what you do in your own words. Uh, sure, Alex. So my name is Amin Sethi. As uh, Alex has already mentioned, I'm a urologist uh, and a minimally invasive surgeon for the Permanente Medical Group here in Northern California. I work specifically in the Diablo Service Area. And my broader role for the organization is TPMD's Director of Wellness Operations. And in that role, I work very closely with our executive team, our board of directors, and teams of physicians, teams of talented physicians across the organization who are very much invested in prof the professional fulfillment and well-being of our physicians, our clinicians, and our, and our healthcare teams. Absolutely. I love that. A physician heal thyself, right? If we can't, if we can't take care of our own self, how can we possibly take care of others as well, too? So I think that's such a such an important aspect of what we do here in Permanente. Um so, you know, technology is being used in so many different ways, um, and it feels like it's getting <laughs> more advancing more and more every day, <laughs> just to say the least, especially even the last couple of months here, um, and particularly impacting healthcare and healthcare delivery as well. Um, so what have you seen are some of the impacts of technology and technology innovation on, on physician well-being and physician kind of practice in general? Well, you know, Alex, technology has been really critical to the advancement of modern day medicine, much like with many fields, especially when it comes to improving patient care, right? So I've seen this in my own field in urology and minimally invasive robotic surgery. I can't tell you how much satisfaction it brings me to be able to operate on a patient, you know, cure their cancer, take their prostate out, operate on their kidney and have them go home the same day. Whereas when I was training, these patients were staying in the hospital for three, four, sometimes five days. So in terms of the impact on well-being, that's, you know, providing excellent patient care uh, with high quality and efficient manner, but, manner, but also, I think, impacting my well-being and, be, and being able to connect to my meaning and purpose and having patients out of the hospital at home as soon as possible. Um, and the integration of technology into healthcare delivery can also be sometimes a double-edged sword. Mm -hmm. uh, take the electronic medical record, for example. So here's a platform, right, that is 
totally revolutionize how uh, the landscape of how we deliver care and the quality of care we can deliver. I often ask my permanente physicians, you know, when I engage with them, who would want to go back to paper charting, uh, waiting on medical record, records, right? Having to look up every drug interaction when entering an order, writing prescriptions on pads. On the other hand, when you think about the EMR, and often gets mentioned, right, in, in, in the conversation around physician burnout as one of the drivers, it has resulted in longer hours, hours in charting due to note bloat. Um, the EMR is used for the ability to as an avenue to adhere to certain regulatory requirements, and that has an inc- impact on physician well-being, of course. Then there's secure messaging, right? There's the, the ability to access your pa- uh, physicians very directly, and that has a huge upside in, in providing, again, timely and efficient care, but it also has a potential downside where uh, physicians are, uh, you know, having a huge increase, especially during the pandemic, in their inbox volume and that volume of secure messaging. So like with anything, technology is a tool that we need to use wisely and to be able to use its benefits to provide excellent patient care and support our well-being, but also in a way that doesn't increase some of our administrative burdens, right, in the in the work that we do, so that we can continue to do the meaningful work that brought us to medicine. Yeah, that that's so well said, and I I feel like in my my own practice that oftentimes you know the the electronic health record can be so beneficial because I remember when I was in medical school, we had to wait paper charts coming up when patients are in the ER and it, it, it definitely improves care and, and speed of care too. Um, but I also feel like sometimes you're like sifting through volumes and reams of information. It's almost like information overload sometimes. And how can we, uh, how can we sort of distill down some of that information into, into, into bite-sized digestible pieces as well? Um, the other, you know, your comment about the email, I think is, is great because a lot of times I will do blood pressure titrations from home, right? I have a patient who comes in like, you know, email me your blood pressures next week and we'll adjust your medicines based on that, which is great. Cause we know ambulatory home blood pressure is probably, probably a better uh, reflection of, of true blood pressure than, than here in the clinic. But then they send me like three pages worth of blood pressure information and three pages worth of blood pressure data in like, you know, Excel format spreadsheets. And it's like, it's like too much information, right? Um, so how can we, how can we make sure we get the right information to physicians to help us make the right choice without overwhelming us too? Um, and so I, 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 again, I totally agree with you in that, that double-edged sword is such an important piece. Um, what are, what are some things that, that, clinicians and, and physicians should sort of keep in mind when using technology and, and, and making sure they kind of create, create that balance and don't overwhelm themselves and, and, and be charting until 10 o'clock at night, um, but also making sure we're, we're, we're not, you know, missing out on potential opportunities as well. Well, I mean, I think that's a topic that we could really spend much more than this 20-minute podcast discussing, of course. But you know, I think it comes down to mindfulness. And, and look, I, I can already probably see, at least from some of our listeners, some eye rolls around a physician wellness leader talking about mindfulness. But I just <laughs> want to point out here that, you know, mindfulness is an incredibly important tool. And I'm going to talk about it in a way that perhaps most people don't think about it, but using technology in a way that's mindful, right? Remembering that, sorry, getting a clinical call here. I'm just going to make sure there's nothing that I need to attend to. It's interesting, right? There you go. Technology and interruptions and distractions and how to manage that. But these are tools that we control and should not be controlling us. And that mindfulness is really relevant both for individual clinicians, but also the organization that they're part of. So let's think about this for individuals first. Physicians are busy. 
Um, it's tough to integrate technology tools in a way that's going to help your practice, even though they've been designed for that, right? Given how busy you are. But can you be mindful about setting aside just, let's say, 10 to 15 minutes, two times a week, right? To figure out, okay, what are the technology tools at my disposal and how do I use them to reduce some of the burdens in my practice? Can I, you know, take this time to really create the smart phrases that I haven't created for months or years, right? Can they help me in my practice? Order sets that I know are available to me that I can customize for my own individual needs. But again, have I had the time to do it? Uh, find If you find yourself doing things over and over again, it's mm -hmm. time to automate and make routine uh, as some of these repeated tasks as much as possible. It's learning how to maximally le uh, leverage the tools that are available to you, like natural language processing or voice recognition systems. I know that this is something we're using in our um, in our system at TPMG, uh, Dragon Medical One. Uh, it's been a game changer for many of us who have integrated into our practice, but some physicians are still resistant because they're thinking about voice dictation from five or 10 years ago. And this is a really important game changer. So it's about just setting aside the time to make sure that you can interact with the technology in the way that makes sense from you. And then the last thing I'd say on the individual individual front is just creating a space to disconnect. You know, the technology is there. It's always going to be there. You're always going to have more charting to do. There's always going to be more patient emails to answer. But can you step away at lunch to go connect with a colleague? Can you really create some boundaries about, you know, even at night at home, if you do have to spend some time on the electronic medical record, which hopefully we can continue to find ways to reduce some of that burden uh, across our healthcare industry. But are you creating boundaries for yourself to be able to disconnect? On the organizational standpoint, we just need to be as thoughtful and as possible about designing technologies with the human-centered approach. Mm -hmm. We gotta make sure that our physicians involved and informing the, the innovation design and integration process of technology, keeping it as simple as possible, making sure we're using team-based approach, right? Make, let's make sure it's not just physicians, physicians and clinicians, but the rest of the team, the medical assistants, the nurses who can integrate with that technology in a way that helps reduce some of the burdens on, you know, the one individual providing the care. So really as much as possible using this collaborative team care models. Yeah. So, I mean, there's, there's, there's so much to unpack uh, with what you just said too, but it sounds like that the theme here is that you know, setting boundaries, uh, boundaries are healthy for us, whether, whether it comes to technology, when it comes to work, when it comes to, to family, right? Boundaries are, are really important too. So making sure we sort of set good boundaries for ourselves, but then also make sure that the technology is working for us and not the other way around. Um, one of, one of your colleagues, um, in, in TPMG likes to use the term, not, not use the term artificial intelligence, but augmented intelligence um and you know listen to the podcast because he goes he talks about that as well too and i think that term is really really changes the paradigm in terms of how we think about technology and having technology work for us and and do things for us that would just normally be repetitive to um i always tell my residents who i who i teach here if you if you write something more than twice you make a smart phrase for it or make a make an automated uh speed button for it yeah um, those those repetitive tasks are what you know i think feel like it's sort of a death by a thousand cuts sometimes too and that's 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 my sort of tip that i give to my residents yeah, that's true, Alex. And, and I want to really emphasize the, the point here. You know, part of this is managing skill building and, and behavior of individual physicians. But when we think about physician burnout, 
uh, and, and we make this point often in our organization, a burnout is not an individual psychological failing or the failing of an individual physician. It, it really is an individual system, uh, sorry, individual symptom of a systems-based and cultural problem that's not unique to permanent medicine. It exists across healthcare, of course. And so that's why we're so focused on looking at the system level drivers of burnout and technology is an important piece of that. So again, how do we make it as simple as possible and how do we make sure we're using physicians to inform how we develop these technologies and how we integrate them into our day-to-day work? Um, I don't want, you know, I want to make sure that we uh, point out to physicians that, you know, we all have a role, right? It's not just the individual, it's not just the organization. We have to work together, roll up our sleeves and find uh, the solutions to how we can improve the physician and clinician experience in in the modern day medical practice. Yeah, no, I think that's such a a great point. Um, I want to, you touched on this a little bit more. I want to kind of go back to it too, about sort of you know, virtual care, right? During, before, before the COVID-19 pandemic, we had, there was some virtual care, but, but very, very little. And literally due to, you know, a global pandemic, we, we pivoted, it felt like overnight sometimes to doing, you know, 90% virtual care, if not more as well. Um, How, how, I mean, I have, I have my own thoughts on this whole issue and I'm happy to share those, but I want to hear from you first, like, how does this sort of influx of virtual care uh, affect the physician and affect their work and affect their well-being too. Um, because y- yes, we're doing much more face-to-face than we did uh, during the, the height of the pandemic, but we're still doing much more virtual care now than we did we did prior. Yeah, that's very true. And it's interesting that you say, you know, 90%. I remember a time when we had to work hard to ensure that 10 of our visits were offered virtually, right? Yeah. Uh, before the pandemic. But the pandemic was the disruptor, right? And of course, healthcare delivery will never be the same. Virtual care platforms, remote monitoring, efforts around hospital at home that I know that in the permanent medical group, we're, we're, we're already you know, running with some of these concepts and we're moving quickly. And, and that's what patients expect, right? Patients expect to get their care to be in a convenient way at, at their t- fingertips with the type of immediacy that they experience in the rest of their lives. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't think it's only the, the patients that benefit when it comes uh, to virtual care. I mean, certainly when it comes to physician well-being, there are also some benefits. There's increased flexibility. So you mentioned earlier, right? Telehealth can be done remotely from home or from wherever, as long as it's, again, protecting patient fri- privacy. It can reduce the commute, right? If you have a long commute day to day, that's that's something that you can integrate into your practice that where you're not driving long hours to the medical center each day. Uh, if you have children and one of your kids is sick and, and you don't have childcare that day, you don't have to cancel a whole morning of patients. And certainly some organizations, including our own, are using telehealth as a way to provide more flexible options for the type of schedules pay, uh, doctors can have and the types of even uh, careers that you can have. That's something we're looking at very closely uh, as a medical group as well. And there's other a- aspects and impacts that physicians should be mindful of. There's the whole patient connection piece, right? Like virtual care, you can connect on video to some extent, but it's not the same connection that you have in person. It's it's not necessarily the same connection that drew us to medicine, right? And so what's interesting is when we look at our data in our uh, physician well-being surveys and this um, issue of patient connection, fortunately, we didn't f- uh, see that fall off, right? Right. Physicians feel like they can connect their patients. We didn't 
see that fall off with the increase in video visits and, and telehealth. So that's good. Uh, another impact is community and camaraderie, the, the ability to connect with your colleagues. So there needs to be a balance. If you're doing virtual care from home five days a week, where are those in-person connections, right, that are so critical to make with your colleagues um, that really, hopefully for me, is often food for my soul. If I'm not away from the medical center for a few days, I start to feel that. I'm not able to engage in the connections that uh, really, I think, in many ways brought me to the Permarine to Medical Group. And there's, you know, of course, there's the issues of ergonomics and, and eye strain and, and, and really making sure that there's some micro recovery. When you're in the clinic seeing patients in person, you have that time to go back and forth, walk around, take a few deep breaths before you walk into the office. So physicians need to be aware and make sure they're integrating some of those micro breaks into their uh, schedule when they're providing virtual care as well. Yeah, th those are all such great points in, in that sort of personalized connection. So uh, for, for me personally, I I I don't want to say I, I hate virtual care. That's a that's a very strong word. But I find I find virtual care much more draining. I'm a, I'm an extrovert. I love seeing patients, connecting with patients, touching patients. Um, I love seeing my colleagues in the hallway and, and in the office, um, working with my nurses, my pharmacists. And so when when I had I had COVID for one week in, in, in oh, January 2020, and I stayed, I worked virtually that week, and it was probably like the worst week of my professional career. One, because I was sick <laughs> and two is all virtual, right? And right. so for me, I know that virtual care is not really for me full-time. Some people love virtual care and they feel like that that's works for them. Um, yeah. It wasn't, it wasn't the right fit. I also figure, I also find that virtual is helpful once you've established a relationship with a patient. It's great for follow-ups. It's great for check, checking in. Um, uh, it definitely is helpful when, you know, patients can't afford to take an entire day off of work to, to come see me in the office here. Um, but it, it's not for me, like when you first meet a patient, you want to establish care. Like, I, I feel like you can't replace that in-person bond, um, at least in my my practice. I know a lot of different people will probably argue with me, with me on that for multiple, multiple occasions. Um, um, but again, figuring out kind of where it works for you personally and yes. where it works for your patients. Some of my patients love the virtual care and that's right. all they want. Some of my patients don't want, me, some of my patients don't want any virtual care. And so I think right. it depends a lot on both the physician and the patient and what the medical problem is, right? I, it's again, I do sports medicine. I have yet to figure <laughs> out how to do a knee injection through a virtual visit. Uh, once I figure that out, I'll be able, be able to be a retire, a retire a millionaire, I think. Well, as a urologist, I won't even bring up some of the things that we have to do during the exam and how, how to potentially do that virtually. And so, but I think both of our personal experiences in our own fields really calls out this important piece. It's about navigating that balance. Yeah. We have to navigate that balance as individuals and we have to navigate the balance as, as organizations because look, virtual care is here to stay and it should be. That's how many patients want to and will continue to want to receive their care. So we have to be facile at providing it and finding ways to, you know, for even our specialties integrated into our you know, in, into our practice, but navigating that balance both personally as an organization is important. Yeah, fantastic. All right, this is wonderful. We could probably go on and on, but I, this is just a taste. So definitely check out the Permanente uh, uh, Docs pod. Uh, yeah, Permanente Doctors podcast um, to to learn more and and kind of go more in depth here as well too. So last question for you, and then I'll let you go here. So what makes you most proud to be a Permanente physician? Oh man, so many things. Um, I think it's the people though. It's probably my colleagues that make me most proud, uh, whether it's across here in TPMG or, or across our permanent medical groups. Every day, 
I'm blown away by the remarkable talent, passion, the ingenuity of our permanent physicians. I'll just tell you a very quick story. You know, when I first uh, joined the permanent medical group, I grew up on the East Coast. So did my wife. I expected to end up there. I completed a long, uh, you know, range of interviews across the East Coast, and I took this uh, TPMG interview as what I thought was going to be a free trip to California, just to end my interview trail and relax yeah. a little bit. And I can't tell you, I was so blown away by the, of course, the the delivery of care, the integrated model, how we provide care to patients, uh, but also the people that I met, the community and camaraderie. It's that that drew me from the East Coast. Of course, the weather helped a little bit as well. And my entire family, my, my parents have moved here since, and it's been 15 years later. So I think all of our physicians contributing to the technology space are an ex excellent, excellent example of the talent that exists in our organization. And I'm so grateful to work with all of our incredible colleagues, uh, both here in TPMG and across uh, the permanent medical groups. Wonderful. So, so well said. So I'm, I'm glad you came out here for a fruit trip to California and uh, <laughs> ended up staying. So um, from, I'm from the East Coast myself, too, so I, I can uh, appreciate the, the desire to, to come to sunny southern, sunny southern California, too. So, well, thank you so much for joining us today. I really appreciate you sharing your, your expertise and thoughts with us. Thanks, Alex. Nice to see you. Likewise. And thanks to all of you out there watching and listening in, in podcast land. Um, really appreciate your thoughts and, and questions. The views expressed in this podcast are those of the speaker and are not meant to represent the views of the Permanente Federation, the Permanente Medical Groups, or Kaiser Permanente.